Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode number five on The Reef Talk. In today's week, we're going to be covering, I think, something that's going to be pretty beneficial to uh, mainly people starting out. Uh, this this uh, podcast is going to be kind of pointed towards uh, people, you know, kind of getting in the hobby, or maybe you've been in the hobby and you don't really have a lot of corals, you're kind of afraid to step into them. Uh, hopefully, this, this video should make it um, a little bit easier. So in today's uh, podcast number five, what we are going to be covering is the top five corals that I personally will find to recommend uh, to people starting out. Um, you know, the reason I've chosen these corals, uh, kind of the, the background on it, uh, they're corals that aren't too picky uh, when it comes to uh, your basic parameters, calcium, alkalinity, and magnesium. Um, you know, they can kind of get away with non-dosing and your your dosing kind of being just water changes either bi-weekly or just once a month. Um, and that's kind of what made these corals fall, in, fall into that category. Uh, so all in all, they're pretty easy corals to keep. Uh, they're nothing too difficult. Uh, so I think you guys should have uh, kind of a good start. So if you do want to either order online or head to the LFS and buy some stuff, um, hopefully after listening to this, uh, you know, you can feel a little bit more at ease to doing that. So one of the first things we're going to talk about is kind of getting the reef tank uh, ready for these corals. So first and foremost, we want to make sure that the tank is cycled. Um, for you guys that have been in the hobby, you obviously know that by now. Um, so you want to give the tank at least a month and a half to cycle. And I know some of you out there listening, you're probably saying it can be done in two, three weeks, even a day uh, with some chemicals. Um, but rule of thumb, guys, if you want to have success in this hobby, take it slow. Don't rush it. Uh, of course, there's ways you can do it quicker. Uh, but, you know, I would do it the proven way, the way that we've been doing it for quite a while. Uh, let your tank cycle with no livestock in there. Um, and generally speaking, I don't like fish. You can add as soon as the tank cycles. So after three weeks, a month, you can add them. Uh, but generally speaking with coral, I like to wait at least a month and a half to two months uh, before I, I do that. And the reason why is because corals are very susceptible to uh, changes. They don't like changes um, in the chemistry. So you guys are probably saying, what do you mean changes? What do you mean changes? Well, we're talking about calcium and alkalinity. Um, they hate big changes. Obviously, there's corals that are a little bit more lenient than others. Uh, so you can get away with a lot more. So generally speaking, you're going to want to make sure that your tank is at least, you know, I'd go month and a half, two months old. And this will ensure that everything in the tank is kind of situated. Um, the levels are, you know, pretty much on track and pretty consistent. Because uh, one thing you are going to learn, whether now or later down the road, is corals absolutely love consistency. So again, making sure that's on track. Um, if you're doing biweekly water changes, you can get away without testing. Now, of course, I'm not recommending it, but I know at the end of the day, there's a lot of people out there that don't want to do the testing. It's just too much for them. If you're keeping corals of any sort, I'd recommend you to, to do testing. But I know the fact of the matter is a lot of us don't want to do that. So kind of I want to answer that. Can you start up a reef tank without testing? You can. Uh, just make sure you stay on top of your water changes because at the end of the day, that's what's really going to monitor everything. Um, as time goes on and your corals get bigger or you get uh, maybe hard corals that do consume a lot of calcium alkalinity, you probably will need to do de uh, testing because at that point they're probably going to be consuming um, everything quicker than you can replenish it in a water change. So to sum it up, can you get away without water testing? Absolutely you can. Or sorry, yeah, without testing your water, yes you can. 
um, and you're going to use your water, your biweekly uh, water changes to maintain that. So now that we got that out of the way, we got to make sure our salinity is on track. So salinity is pretty much how salty, if you will, the water is, how much salt is present in the water. Generally speaking for corals, um, and these soft corals, a little bit more geared to that I'm going to be recommending, uh, you want to be anywhere in the uh, 0.024-27. If you can, be in the 25 to 26 range, that'll be perfect. But I've seen a lot of successful reef tanks with 24 um, and as high as 27. So my rule of thumb, I try to keep it in the middle, 2526, um, and I've had great success, no issues with that. Um, and there's a few ways to test your salinity. In the last podcast we covered, uh, podcast number four, we covered um, Hannah's salinity tester, which is so, so easy. Uh, it's digital. You just put this little um, <coughs> uh, pin or pin, I guess you could call it, in the water column, and it tells you exactly the salinity in a digital readout. There's refract, uh, refractor meters you can get to do that. And, there, and then there's the cheapest hydrometers at like Petco. Um, you know, they're very easy to find. Most LFSs should have at least a refractometer that you look into or a hydrometer that's a little bit easier. Um, obviously, hydrometers aren't too accurate, but if that's all you have, I would much rather you be using that than using, you know, nothing at all. Um, another way to kind of go around it is a lot of LFSs uh, sell you premixed water. So if you're buying premixed water, they're going to tell you what the salinity is at. And generally speaking, it shouldn't fluctuate. Um, but obviously in our tanks, water does evaporate. So we're going to want to make sure when we are adding fresh water, we're not adding too much to lower the salinity and not too little to increase the salinity. Um, so an auto top off, if you can afford it, that'll be your best route. Um, honestly, I think before you even jump into corals, you should have an auto top off um, at the very least. And that's going to ensure that your salinity stays on point all the time. So with your parameters in check, your salinity ready to go, kind of the last two things we're going to make sure we have in line is a light. Now, guys, I'll be the first to tell you, you don't have to go out and buy, you know, Radeon's for $400 lights like I have, sometimes 800 if you get the XR30. Um, you can get away with inexpensive LED lights, especially for the corals I'm be recommending. They're, they're not very high demand on lighting. Um, obviously, the more you spend, you know, the not guaranteed, but the better results you should get in the long run as far as coloration and so on and so forth. But uh, you can get away um, with, you know, a cheap LED light. You can probably get on Amazon or your local LFS. Don't think you have to go out and spend, uh, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven hundred dollars on a light. If you got the money, great. You know, we'll set you up for a little bit more success. But if you don't have it, I'm not saying you're not going to be successful. So let's make sure we have the light in check. Uh, make sure your light does have a blue channel because um, corals kind of really love the blue spectrum uh, more than the white. So make sure that's in order. After that, you're going to want to make sure you have decent flow in the tank. A lot of cases with these corals I'll be recommending, you can get away with just having uh, the return pump from your main tank uh, act as your flow. So if you do have that, you know, you don't have to go out and spend the extra money um, on getting a return pump. Of course, if you do have the money for a return pump, by all means, or sorry, not a return pump, by a wave maker, by all means, you can get one. You know, Jabo makes a PP4 or RW4, I forget the model, for about 30 to 40 bucks. You know, won't break the bank because um, corals do need flow. Uh, flows a way for them to get all the bad stuff off of them and also gets the food to them. Um, but like I said, a lot of the cases, the flow from your return pump should be enough to care for these corals I'll be recommending today. So once we do have that in line, 
Um, you don't need to go out and specifically buy coral food. Um, you know, the corals should be able to eat from the fish poop, um, the fish waste or any waste uh, excess food that the fish don't eat. They should be able to capture that. But of course, just like anything else, if you do go out and buy food, it's going to be supplemental. And of course, they're going to benefit from them. Um, a food I recommend is going to be a polyp lab reefroids. That by far is going to be the best food I've ever tried for corals. Um, I mean, my tank alone, that's all it eats. And that's what I have to show for when people ask me for the coloration and the growth I've really gotten. So if you do have that, uh, you want to go out and buy food for them, you can do that. Uh, just be sure when you do feed corals, don't do any heavy feeding. Um, their mouths are thousands of times smaller than a fish's mouth. Um, so, you know, you don't want to go out and overfeed them. So, yeah, make sure parameters are in check, food. So now that we got all that in line, you know, everything is taken care of. Now we can go ahead and go out shopping for corals because trust me, that's the best part. It's a fun uh, part. I, I still remember when I was getting started in the hobby, I remember that weekend that I knew I was going to go buy some coral. Um, I was super excited, but I was very nervous. And I think a lot of us listening to this, if you are new, you're probably nervous as well because you hear the horror stories, right? With saltwater tanks, you hear with the horror stories with corals um, and that they're very difficult to keep right? They're very difficult. They're very expensive. They always die. But guys, the fact of the matter is all these corals want is stability. That's all they care for. Um, so as long as you're keeping up with your regiment on water changes, you know, you should be good. Now I'm not saying that's a, you know, do all and that if only doing that, you're going to be very successful. There's other things we need to look after, but at the beginning with these EV corals, you should be able to get away with just bi-weekly water changes without an issue. Uh, generally speaking, about a 10% water change um, you can do. On my office tank, I do bi-weekly 50% water changes. I've never had an issue. A lot of people won't recommend that much, but I've never had an issue. Um, it's what I always do, and my corals, it, you know, they look happy, so that tells me that I'm probably doing something right, right? So <clears throat> now that we're ready to go out uh, to the LFS or either order online, what are the first corals I'm always going to re recommend to people? Are going to be mushrooms. So mushrooms and flower anemones are going to be the two most common ones that I'm going to recommend to people. And let me tell you why. With mushrooms, I've seen them kind of withstand everything. Um, they're very, very hard corals. Um, they're not very picky on too clean water. So if you have a tank that's what we call dirty, and when I say dirty, I mean not nitri high nitrates and phosphates, they love it. Uh, given there's too much of a certain thing. So if they're too high, you know, you'll make them unhappy. Um, but mushrooms are one of the corals that I've seen. They could care less, you know, what those numbers are as far as nitrates and phosphates. They're always really happy. They're always really open. They're always really fluffy. So it brings an enjoyment to us as the uh, reef keeper, you know, to come home and to see something always open. They're not very picky corals. Again, that also uh, comes into the uh, flower anemones. <clears throat> so the flower anemones, um, it is a style of anemone. It's not the one we're typically used to seeing, like in Finding Dory or anywhere, Discovery Channel or anywhere you've seen anemone with long tentacles. Um, flower anemones are a different type of anemone. Uh, they typically are on a sand bed or like on a rock, and they're very low profile, but they're beautiful coloration. I think this goes with both mushrooms and flower anemones. You can get some amazing colors. So if you're looking for a coral that has just some great color splash, both mushrooms 
and flower anemones are a good choice for you to get started. They're very easy to keep, um, so you shouldn't have any issue with it. With um, flower anemones, be careful though. Flower anemones and anemones in general can move within your rock structure, and when they move, they have a chance of stinging other coral. So this is something you want to watch out for, and this is what we call coral warfare. Last thing you want to do is uh, put them in a location that comes in contact with, let's say, another expensive coral. And at the end of the day, the anemone is going to end up killing it if it comes in contact with it. Uh, so generally speaking, flower anemones, I like to keep them on the sand bed, um, kind of away from the rocks so I have a better control of where they go. Because generally speaking, on the rock, they kind of won't move. They'll, I mean, on the sand, they won't move. They'll pr you know, pretty much stay put. So that covers uh, kind of the first uh, few corals. The other very common coral that I'm going to recommend is going to be a leather coral. Now, there's different types of leather corals out there. Um, generally speaking, leather corals, again, like mushrooms and flower anemones, they really don't care about dirty water. Um, they're very easy to keep. Um, they don't like high flow. None of these corals I'm going to be mentioning today, <clears throat> excuse me, care much about high flow um, or high lighting. Um, you know, they're, they're very easy care level, and that's why I'm recommending them. So leather corals are, are pretty cool. Generally, though, the colors on leathers, it's not, they're not too crazy. I think the crazier, the craziest I've seen is like a really bright neon green uh, leather. Um, but like I said, they're, they're very nice because they look, if you Google them, you'll probably see they look like a tree. Um, they are offered in a few different texture variations, so you'll be able to kind of choose what you're looking for. Uh, but generally speaking, you'll have pretty good luck with uh, leather corals, and you know I don't think you're going to have any issue at all with them. One of the other corals I'm be recommending for you guys looking to start out is going to be zoanthids, also known as zoas or button polyps. I mean, there's various names out there, but generally speaking, zoanthids and zoas is what we all have come to find out. Now, with zoanthids, you're probably going to get one of the most beautiful coloration on these specific corals. And the way I like to kind of a, the way I like to explain zoas, um, they kind of look like little flowers. It looks like a little flower pot. Um, so the, yeah, they're they're very cool, and they come in a wide range of colorations. And if you get really creative, you can do what I've done in my JBJ45, and you can create an actual zoa garden. Um, I've done that. It's been a long project of mine. But just the gratification you get with the mixture of colors and everything, uh, you know, I've really uh, loved to see it become what it's become in the time I've done it. So zoanthids are, are going to be very easy. They're very inexpensive. Pretty much all these corals are pretty inexpensive given there's, there is, if you want to spend money on zoas, there's some really expensive ones, same with mushrooms. Um, so not everyone's going to be super expensive, but generally speaking, um, they're pretty inexpensive and you shouldn't have any issues with um, one thing that you are going to read with zoas is they do have uh, toxins. So there is certain zoas that actually have, I think there's been a case or a few cases where they have killed a human being um, with poly, I think they're called polytoxins. But generally speaking, the zoas we see in our hobby, and I'm not saying all of them, guys, so don't, don't get it confused. But generally speaking, a lot of the designers we see, you won't have an issue with them. Kind of the rule of thumb I always use in my reef tank in general, I never put my hand in, a t in the tank without a glove. Not only for my protection, but also for the protection of the coral because I don't want to damage it with my nail or something like that or any of my oils on my hand. So generally speaking, I always wear gloves when dealing with any type of coral. Um, but yeah, just keep in mind that there is certain zoas that can 
uh, release uh, something where if you have a cut or anything of that sort, it can get in your skin, uh, poison you. And there has been cases where I think uh, humans have uh, died from that. Um, haven't been too many, but generally speaking, those are what I like to call uh, palizoas. So the palizoas is just about a two to three time bigger uh, polyp of a zoa. And again, it's not all of them, it's just some of them. So if you are buying from an LFS, you know, I'd ask them, you know, what, what do these have any toxins? They'll be able to tell you. Um, also, typically online, a lot of the designers you see, you know, you won't have any issues with those. So you should be fine. I would not have that uh, hold you back from going ahead and buying some Zoas. One of the other coral I, I want to add, it's probably been over five already. Um, one of the other corals I want to add are the green star polyps or just in general star polyps. So star polyps come in a different variations and the star polyp, the easiest way to describe it is grass. It looks literally like you're looking at grass. If you're on your phone or your uh, laptop right now, just Google green star polyp and you're going to know exactly why I refer to it as grass. So generally speaking, tar star polyps are super easy to take care of. Um, green star polyps is generally what a lot of people tend to go to because it's so vibrant in color. The green is like, it's a crazy neon green. Um, it grows very quickly and it's very easy to care for. Now, one thing I do want to tell you guys about green star polyp, be careful where you put it. Personally, I wouldn't put it on a rock if you care about that rock. Because once you put it on a rock, you're never, ever removing it. It's going to be almost impossible to remove. You're going to have to take the rock out, leave it, you know, out in the open for a few days so it all dies. Um, but once you start on a rock, you'll never be able to get it off. So if you want to build, I'd recommend you to build a little island if you do want to do it on a rock and set it there. You can also set it on the sand bed. I've grown it on the sand bed. Another cool thing I've actually done is I've, I've grown it on my back wall. So I, I glued it to the back of the tank and it's it's just taken off and it, it's it's been amazing. That's, you know, kind of one thing I want to let you guys know before you do out and get green star polyp and put it all over your rock. Because before you know it, within a few months, that rock is going to be covered um, in green star polyp or in polyps in general. So if you are looking for that look, great, you know, you can put it on a rock. But if you're not, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys are going to see some value in that. And um, one of the last uh, two, well, it falls into one family, but the last few corals I want to quickly mention, uh, they kind of can pass on this list, although I'm, you're going to see why I'm keeping them towards the end, is going to be your torch coral, your hammer coral, and your frog spawns. So these are generally called euphilias. So euphilia coral, they're, they're pretty hardy and they're pretty easy to keep in general. But, you know, if you're having too much fluctuations on phosphates, um, you know, you can piss them off. If you're having too much fluctuations on alkalinity, you can piss them off. Um, but, you know, it, I would first give it a try with the corals I already mentioned. And, you know, if you're having pretty good success with that, if everyone looks really happy, you can try your hand at a torch coral. And a torch coral looks like an anemone, except it's not. Um, it, it looks very, very similar, but it's not. And a torch coral can't move like an anemone can. Um, and kind of a, a hammer coral, I, I think you'd have to Google um, these, you know, because it's very hard to explain. Uh, but a hammer coral, kind of the polyps, or not the polyps, but the, the, the heads themselves look like little hammers. And a frog spawn just kind of looks like a torch, except a lot thicker. And with, it, it's hard to explain, so excuse me if I can't really explain it. Um, 
But yeah, if you guys are looking to keep torches and hammers and frog spawns and so on, <clears throat> do it with caution. First, give it a go at these corals I recommended. If you're doing good, if they're growing, if they're thriving, if everything's great, you know, you can then step into the realm um, of the euphelias. Now, I'm pretty sure a lot of you new reefers, or in general, why you got into reefing was because you want to have a pair of clownfish, right? With an anemone. So anemone, you're probably saying, why did you leave this one out? Well, an anemone, generally speaking, I don't like to add those till after about three to four months. Um, you can do it sooner, and they're not really hard to keep. I, I don't think they're hard at all. But I'd much rather see you try your hand at these very inexpensive corals, because some anemones can get really expensive. Um, so instead of having you jump in there and kind of, uh, you know, get let down a little bit by either thinking it's too difficult or whatever... Uh, these corals I recommended that you're almost guaranteed success with them as long as you keep up with your maintenance. And I think that's a key thing. I think if everybody really kept up with their maintenance or water changes, um, the tanks would be a lot happier. More importantly, you would be happy and obviously you'd want to keep doing what you're doing because uh, you would see the results. So for you guys wondering if you can add a, a regular anemone, you can. Um, realistically, if you got the money, you want to go add it. When you add these corals, you can. But just remember, guys, anemones, those you can't really put them on the sand bed. They need a rock to hold on to. And those do move. So wherever you put it, it's almost guaranteed not going to stay there. It's going to move where it wants to be. And that's going to depend on the flow, the lighting, and just where it wants to be. Um, so it's very hard to kind of put it where you want. So if it wants to go in a location where you have another coral, guess what's going to happen? What we mentioned at the beginning, coral warfare. Um, there's almost nothing I know that can kill an anemone. And an enemy will generally kill everything in its path. Uh, so just be very careful with that when, you know, when you are going to be adding one. And one of the hardest things about an enemy is removing it. Once you add it to the tank, it is very hard to remove from the rock. To get that foot to release is very, very difficult. And it's a lot easier to damage it. Um, so just keep, keep those things in mind. Um, that's kind of why I personally used to keep it an enemy, but I don't keep it anymore just because it was moving everywhere, killing everything. Um, and even when I did remove it, I kind of killed it. Uh, but luckily, a baby spawned out of it, and it appeared like a few months later, which I got rid of that too. Um, I, I think I traded it or sold it. I forgot. But um, yeah, just keep that in mind. So um, I'm trying to see if I, if I missed anything. I think, yeah, we covered the lighting, we covered the food, we covered that. Um, so, yeah, generally speaking, when you do want to feed all these corals, you know, once you bought them, twice a week is fine. If you are doing reefroids, twice a week is perfectly fine. Um, you don't need to feed them. They, you know, they can feed off whatever's in the water column. So don't think you need to go out of your way to feed them. But if you do want to feed them, I know for me it's very enjoyable. Um, and I enjoy doing it. I enjoy, uh, you know, seeing them absorb the food. So I, I like it and I do it. But, again, you don't have to. So I think that's going to be it, guys, for today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it on covering what was the five beginner coral. I think at the end of this, I covered like 10 different coral. <laughs> um, but I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully, you guys got something useful um, out of it. For you guys that uh, did stay till the end, I'd love to receive an email for you guys. Uh, head over to thereeftalk.com. Let me know what you guys are thinking so far of these episodes. I always love reading the positive feedback from you guys. Also love the criticism. So if there's any way you think I can make this better, if there's any ideas you have on future podcasts, you can also include them there. Just head over to our website, thereeftalk.com, head over to the contact page, fill out the form. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Let me know what you'd like to hear in the future. 
So we're going to leave this podcast here, guys. I really thank you guys very much for listening. Um, Yeah, wishing you guys a great week. And as always, guys, happy reefing.